That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Professor Benjamin R. Teitelbaum, the uh, ethnographer of contemporary radical nationalism in Europe, assistant professor of ethnomusicology and international affairs at the University of Colorado Boulder. And his latest book, this is just an extraordinary work, War for Eternity, Inside Bannon, that's Steve Bannon's, far-right circle of global power brokers. Dr. Teitelbaum, welcome back to the program. An absolute pleasure to be with you. War for Eternity, first of all, where did that title come from? It actually describes the worldview that I'm studying in this book. There's a sort of hidden network of of ideologues around the world who who follow a very, very strange school. It's more more a philosophical school of politics, but it's called traditionalism. And one of its pieces is that all of these actors, they oppose progress at large. That's one reason why it's so radical. It's hard to compare, but they want to see a world that is not striving to be something better necessarily than it was and dreaming of a sort of utopia here on Earth, but instead a world that returns to what it once was. And that believes In other that words, with white men in charge? It could be. It's not a, a politically benign or neutral position as abstract and vague as that might sound, this is not the cause for people who have been oppressed, necessarily, or look at history as a series of, of injustices, necessarily. Returning to eternity is what I'm trying to capture with that title. That's the way that they read history, essentially. Right. We've had 7,000 years of patriarchal hierarchy and male, particularly white male, but you know, all over the world, male domination. And they are of the opinion that that is the natural order of things? Is this, do they subscribe to some sort of Herbert Spencer neo-Darwinism? That would be to undersell it, I'm afraid. <laughs> Tom, there's a spiritual really? dimension to it. To, Tell me to about say it. that it's a natural order doesn't even get to the core of it. There's a belief that hierarchy, even theocracy, is a sort of ordained divine plan for humanity. It's very out so it's there. Kind of, I promise you it's not dry. So it's kind of a neo-Calvinism. I mean, you know, John Calvin, uh, or at least his followers, posited the idea that has heavily influenced Western politics over the last few centuries, that we're all born from women, therefore we're all contaminated by there being women. They were the original sinners, and therefore we've all sinned, and, and uh, therefore none of us are worthy of leading other human beings. But God figures out who among us is good and who among us is bad, and has figured out a way to tell us who is good, so we'll know who we should put in charge, and that visible demonstration of God's love for his chosen a few who should become the leaders in our society is that he makes them rich. Is that a piece of this? Kind of, kind of. Again, in its original form, this doctrine that that I focus on in the book Traditionalism, I would even say it goes further. One of its key early theorists in the radical right was a man named Julius Evola, who was a collaborator with Mussolini, actually. But he saw himself as being beyond fascism and beyond Nazism, actually. And he believed that the most virtuous beings in the world were not only men, not only Aryan, but also militaristic, priestly, theocratic 
So it's more theorized, and it's more explicit, in fact, than that Calvinist doctrine that you just laid out. In your book, you talk about this is the international effort and Steve Bannon's role in this. Well, let's start there, actually, with the, the international. For example, Viktor Orban, he just grabbed absolute power in Hungary by getting Parliament yep. to give him the right to rule by decree. If words come out of his mouth, they are now law. Is he a follower of this, or is he just, you know, some bully strongman guy? It's a complicated topic. He probably is not. He would not identify that. However, especially in 2015, when Orban's political party started to really, really get a firm grasp on power in Hungary, they did so by appropriating some of the doctrine of, the, of a party to the right of them in Hungary. Hungary's political spectrum, of course, is way, way to the right. So he had a threat to his right side, as a matter of fact, and that political party was, was to date the only, more or less you could say, officially traditionalist political party in the post-war era. And that, that party is, by the way, is called Jobbik. They were reading everything, all of European history, the migration crisis in 2015. They were reading it all in terms of this doctrine. Um, traditionalism. But it doesn't end there. I mean, some of the, the more more compelling hotspots of it today and the places where Steve Bannon is working to network are actually Brazil and Hungary. And it's in those two countries that he has a counterpart, a sort of ideologue, strategist, influencer, Rasputin type, close to a populist far-right leader, but who also follows this obscure doctrine, traditionalism. Hmm. Remarkable. So uh, here in the United States, it seems, uh, maybe I'm hyper oversimplifying, but it seems that in the 2016 election, Donald Trump actually ran to Hillary Clinton's left. He said he was going to stop international free trade or slow it down, bring our factories back home. The whole free trade thing was something that Reagan and Bush put together. They negotiated NAFTA. Yes, Clinton's husband signed it, but it was a Bush-Reagan effort. And Trump also said he was going to get everybody in the country health insurance and it would be less expensive than Obamacare and he was going to strengthen Medicare and Social Security, all these. He basically ran to Hillary Clinton's left. Do we have somebody running to his right? I mean, is this how strong is this in the United States? And I think we're going to hit a break here in about two minutes. And by this, do you mean that this this particular doctrine that I've been talking to you about? Yeah, I mean, this if a politician in the United States was using this doctrine, they would have to run to Trump's right. Correct. In some senses, Trump- I mean, people always make what they will of it. One thing that it urges people to do, however, is to break down big groups and big collectivities. So the UN, the European Union, arguably the United States itself, all of those entities are kind of marked as being decadent and problematic. And so the, the notion that you would say reduce global trade or reduce unfettered capitalism to try and shrink the sphere of trade and economic production and consumption. Mm. That could come from this doctrine, too, and it could manifest, as you say, it could potentially manifest to the left of Trump in economic matters in some ways, if, depending on how we want to define left, of course. But this is an elite pastime. This doctrine that I've talked about, it hasn't appeared in media, in part because it's so strange, but in part also because it is really limited to the upper, upper echelon of ideologues operating in the global It really sounds like the kind of stuff Bill Barr is promoting. The difference also is how it motivates a radicalism that is so far beyond left and right as we think of it, though. Remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. The new book, War for Eternity, the author, Professor Benjamin R. Teitelbaum. And Dr. Teitelbaum, thanks so much for dropping by. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. BenjaminTitlebaum.com is his website. You can tweet him at Ben Title, T-E-I-T-E-L. Did you know that Ronald Reagan committed treason to become president in 1980 and George Herbert Walker Bush was in on it and he avoided being prosecuted for this in 1992 with a little help from Bill Barr? It's on page 116 of my book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. On the line with us is Angelo Carasone. He is the president of Media Matters for America, mediamatters.org, a 
website we refer to often on this program. His uh, Twitter handle is GoAngelo. Krebs on Security published a rather lengthy piece that's a good bookend to Judd Legum's piece over at Popular.info. On Krebs on Security, he discovered 150, roughly, domains that have been registered in the last few weeks, many of them within the same few hours, Reopen PA, reopen MI, reopen WA, reopen MN, all, you know, all these reopen sites. And some of them track back to FreedomWorks. Some of them track back to so-called gun rights groups, which are probably fronts for gun manufacturers. And a whole bunch of them track back to these three brothers who are making apparently a lot of money off outrage. What role is the media playing in this, particularly Fox so-called news? Yeah, I think that's a good way to start, too, because part of what happens here is that you have a place like Fox that actually is able to build the sort of demand or identify sort of a problem that these kind of grifters come in and sort of coalesce and organize around. And then there are, there are other people that are not even necessarily grifters, right, but that they are just extremists. So in addition to these far-right gun groups and some of these operatives, you know, there's also some state representatives that are being opportunistic, people on the Women for Trump advisory board. A lot of anti-vaxxers are sort of standing up these events and pages. But where it all really started was, you know, most of this stuff, and you sort of alluded to it in the beginning of your intro, where you sort of identified that a lot of these things kind of happened at one big shot. They all sort of came around at once. And there's a reason for that. The reason is that around most of this stuff started on April 10th. But if you look at what was happening on Fox News, and in particular on Fox News, and then some of the other right-wing echo chamber, one thing that was taking place is on the 7th and the 8th is when they started to make this case that it's time to end the national lockdowns. And there was an important distinction. They switched a little bit from just talking about the economic harms to now making it an issue of freedom and liberty. And the, one of the things that was most striking is that typically it's not the case, but this clip from Tucker Carlson, his sort of appeal to end the lockdowns, uh, was one of the most trafficked sources uh, videos on the, in the right-wing echo chamber on the 9th. And all of a sudden, you know, because it's, it saturates the landscape with that demand, these groups sort of pop up and try to coalesce and try to capture some of that because they know that once they do that, they'll in turn be rewarded with promotion from the very same source that identified and articulated the need in the first place. Which raises a, perhaps a larger question. Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister of Australia, last year, as I recall, wrote a piece for the Sydney Morning Herald titled, Rupert Murdoch is the cancer at the heart of Australian democracy. And then he goes through and chronicles not only how Murdoch has corrupted Australian politics for some 20, 30 years, but how he then moved to the UK and he corrupted UK politics, British politics, and then he moved to the United States and now he's been corrupting American politics. Gotten fabulously rich in the process, although he started out doing well with the newspaper, I believe he inherited it from his dad. But he, you know, he built this empire. His son, Lachlan, is largely running most of it, I guess now, Fox News and whatnot. What's in it for these guys? And is there an effort to call them out or publicly shame them the way Kevin Rudd tried to do in Australia? I mean, what, what is their agenda? I'm baffled. Yeah, I mean, in this case, you know, Fox has made a pretty clear... Their agenda is to be completely aligned with Trump at this point. And whether or not that's what the position that the, the super higher-ups necessarily want, it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't even know if they could change right now if they wanted to, although I don't think they do, because in a way, Trump did something that no one else was really able to do in Fox's history and much of Murdoch's history, is that he captured the Fox audience. And in a way, you know, there are two sort of assignment editors at Fox News, right? You have Trump, and then you have the day-to-day -day people there. And, you know, he could cannibalize that audience pretty quickly if he wanted to, or at least disrupt it. And that's where Fox's power comes from, because ultimately, that's the answer to your question. What they want is power. And I know that. And here's the proof that they want power more than anything else, including money. They love money, don't get me wrong, and they make plenty of it. But it's all about power, political power and personal self-interest. And the reason I know that and the proof is in the pudding, is that they actually lose money. You know, Fox News lost $300 million in advertising revenue over the past two years. $300 million. Simply because some of their hosts are so extreme that they can no longer sell ads. They had to cut their ad inventory during primetime. Their most rate, highly rated shows, they literally had to half their ad inventory. And if this was, they were really interested in money, 
they would have just they would have brought on board other conservatives, but just a little more palatable, right? Or maybe forced some of their personalities to reel it in. But it's not just about the money. If it was purely about maximizing profit, they would take other steps to mitigate those losses, but they don't. And the reason they, they are, don't is because they get something right. more out of it. That's it. Which is power. I'll ask the psychiatrist, why does somebody want power? And basically, there were two possible answers to that. Number one is to use that power in a practical way. That is, for example, to get myself tax breaks or to promote the interests of my business. And the other answer is people crave power out of a deep sense of insecurity, a neurotic sense of insecurity. And if they can acquire power over others, it gives them a sense of being in control of the world when in many cases they grew up feeling like the world was out of control. A, can you think of any other reasons why somebody might want power? And B, if the Murdochs and the Kochs and the FreedomWorks folks and all these guys, if what they're interested in is in power, why? Yeah, I mean, that's the part. I mean, some of it is that, and I think this is the piece that underlies a lot of it, is that in their case, they need the kind of power that they're generating because their worldview, to the extent that there is one, and their political philosophy, especially in the case of the Murdochs, um, is fundamentally anti-democratic. And so in order to... That's right. And so in order to drive that, right, you need power. Right. How do you force some of the things that they've done in terms of not putting in place changes into basic, basic climate change protection? I mean, they literally were forcing on-air talent to lie about the climate record. You can go down the list. A lot of what they push for is fundamentally anti-democratic. And to drive that part of the agenda is you need that power. And another part is, and I think this is really clear in Rupert, but more in Lackland, is that, you know, when I look at Rupert Murdoch, there's this piece of it, which is he wants a legacy and an institution to live beyond him, right? He wants to build this thing almost like a monument, like a, pier- a modern-day pyramid, right? He's always had this idea that his papers, that's why his papers are still his most beloved. You know, of all the things he has, he's very fixated on his papers and his FCC licenses. You know, there's a reason he moved his office into Roger Ailes' old office to sit at Fox News, because he gets the idea that the news side of it is much more influential. It's lasting. But Lacklin, on the other hand, is a nihilist. He doesn't care about the company. He really just wants power for power's sake. It's sort of a self-indulgence, do whatever you want, doesn't matter. And there's a short-term satisfaction that comes from that. And it happens to align with a worldview, which is that most of this stuff is a hoax. And if it doesn't, who cares? If I can prove it, then it's true. If I can convince people, then it's true. And that's where I think we run into an issue with Fox more broadly is, you know, part of what's in it for them is, you know, obviously they make money from it, right? They have, they make an enormous amount of money from it, but they also get power. And then some of these secondary people, the people that feed off them, they're like the wealth defense industry, right? They get a little taste. Right. Right. Yeah, I get that. If their pursuit is for power, how do you interrupt that? What kind of intervention can we do as a country? Yeah, we have one thing here that has helped that is enabling them. Fox News is the second most expensive channel in everybody's cable box after ESPN. Do you know that if Fox News did not have a single dollar in advertising revenue, they would still have a 90% profit margin? No other ad commercial company is even close to that. And that's because every cable customer is forced to pay them two or more dollars a month for the service, even if they never turn it on. It's these subscriber fees. And Fox has leveraged all that power and their rabid audience to artificially inflate what cable companies are forced to pay them, which are costs that they pass off to the customers. So the single biggest thing here is if Fox, Fox has a cushion, right, because they can lose advertising money, but at the end of the day, they were still an enormously profitable company because of that. No other media outlet has that advantage. So the single most effective thing that people can do right now, at least with respect to Fox, is to continue to expose them, right? But there's this other piece that we all have some power here, a small piece of it, which is we each have a say over our cable companies. And Fox has organized their people every time they renegotiate with their cable providers. That's why they're able to jack up those rates. By contrast, so I should tell my cable company I don't want Fox That's anymore? Right. That's right. And even huh. if they don't get rid of Fox, you know what they do? They will start to negotiate those rates down. You're if Fox News was Tom forced Hart- to have these market TomHartwin.com for audio and video archives. Angelo Carasone, so president much. of Media Matters for America, MediaMatters.org.
Remember when Donald Trump back in March, March 13th, he came out and he had a bunch of corporate CEOs around him and, you know, hey, everything's cool and we got this under control and, you know, Google is going to, they got 1,700 engineers working on creating a website so that you could figure out how to get your test. It was a lie. He was literally lying through his teeth when he said it. Google didn't know what the hell he was talking about. When Google didn't do it, Jared Kushner's brother took a bunch of federal money and created a website like this, and it didn't work either. But the other thing that he said when he was lying through his teeth on March 13th, as he does pretty much every day, why the hell are the networks still carrying this, by the way? I've gotten in the habit of when Trump comes on MSNBC or CNN, whichever one I'm watching, just happens to be playing in the house, I immediately go to BBC. Well, yesterday I went to BBC and there was Trump doing his press conference or his uh, Hugo Chavez rant, his campaign, his campaign rally. I mean, let's call them what they are. They're campaign rallies. You know, my God, I can't escape this guy. So, you know, instead I went to France 24 and uh, they were actually doing some really good reporting on what's going on in Europe with this virus and some of the downside and some of the upside. But in any case, the second lie that Trump told was that because he had a bunch of big box retailer CEOs there. He says, these CEOs, you know, these Walmarts and Best Buys or whatever it was. I, I forget the names of the companies. But he said, they're going to put, you know, you've got you know, tens of thousands of giant parking lots all across the United States. We're going to put testing, drive-up testing centers in them. Thousands of them all over the country right away. Turns out it was a complete lie. Again, they didn't even know that he was going to say this. This guy just pulls stuff out of his backside and then sprays it all over us. They didn't know what was going on, so everybody scrambled. And so they finally created five drive-up testing centers. But you could only get tested in one of these five drive-up tests, nationwide, five of them. You could only get tested if you were a healthcare worker. So Trump, you know, not only set up a false expectation and lied through his teeth, but even when they tried to implement it, they didn't do what he said. Well, guess what happens? The funding for those five drive-up centers goes away. They're going to close down. He just can't stop lying. And the networks can't stop carrying him because it's a repeat of 2016. As long as Trump is doing a show that will enhance the profits of the networks, they're going to keep putting him on TV. And the more they put him on TV, I mean, this is how Hugo Chavez got popular. Well, actually, he got popular by helping the little guy. Trump is doing the opposite. But this is just, this is just nuts. I got a note. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that there's a pharmacy that, you know, a mail-in pharmacy that I've used on and off for years. And they've actually been sending out emails to their customers, keeping them up to date on things. And I got this email yesterday from this farm. I don't want to name the pharmacy, but I got this uh, email yesterday from this um, mail-based pharmacy. Uh, regular pharmacy. This isn't one of those companies that sells hair pills and ED pills or something like that. It's just a regular pharmacy. And here's what they said. The headline of their email is, The Challenges of the Drug Supply Chain Due to the Coronavirus. And I'll just read to you a piece of this. He says, one of the reasons we previously mentioned that this is causing delivery delays, they started talking about, you may experience extended delivery times. One of the reasons that is causing these delivery delays is the difficulty in procuring pharmaceutical inventory due to the high demand for pharmaceuticals worldwide at this time. In a CNBC article, they said, quote, there is a shortage of everything. Pharmacies in New York City struggle to keep key medications stocked amid the coronavirus outbreak. And then they go on to say, but getting inventory is just one of the challenges in filling our orders during the coronavirus crisis. Securing air cargo transport of orders from another country to our pharmacy is another when air transport capacity has been significantly curtailed worldwide. And then once packages reach the destination country, custom officials are backlogged because, you know, customs officials are getting sick, too. So they say we encourage customers who may need medications in the coming months to place their orders now and try to get your doctors to prescribe 90-day supplies. This is what I told you, you know, a month or so ago, the last time I got one of these emails from this pharmacy. And finally, Pope Francis. Pope Francis has said, this from CNN, has said the coronavirus pandemic is one of nature's responses to humans ignoring the current ecological crisis. He says, I don't know if these are the revenge of nature, but they are certainly nature's responses. He called for a universal basic income. 
basically to end poverty, to make sure that everybody has enough money to get by. There's certainly enough money in the world for universal basic income, literally for all 7 billion of us. There's enough food in the world for everybody. But, you know, we have famines and we have poverty because there are some people who want to have as much as they possibly can, more, 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 more. Oh, a billion dollars isn't enough. I want five billion. Five isn't enough. I want 10 billion. 10 billion, you know, a million isn't enough. I want 10 million. Now, 10 million isn't enough. I want 100 million. And on and on it goes. But the Pope said enough. No. Pope says, a photo appeared the other day of a parking lot in Las Vegas where the homeless had been put in quarantine and the hotels were empty. But the homeless cannot go to a hotel. This is the moment to see the poor, said Pope Francis. He also warned against the rise of populist politicians who he said are giving speeches reminiscent of Hitler in 1933. I don't know if he's speaking to Trump here or who or Orban or whatever, but he says... He is, I am worried by the hypocrisy of certain political personalities who speak of facing up to the crisis of the problem of hunger in the world, but who in the meantime manufacture weapons. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I wonder who he could be talking about. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs, and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple-glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Tom Hartman. 
Meanwhile, Michelle Obama has come out and said we need to have absentee voting or vote by mail in every state. You'll recall Ron Wyden three weeks ago, as I recall, was on this program. It was back when I was doing the show from the studio, so it had to be at least three weeks ago, maybe four. Ron Wyden was on this show. He and Earl Blumenauer, who's the congressman who represents basically Portland, and Ron Wyden is one of the two senators who represent Oregon, have put together legislation that would fully fund and prepare every state in the union to send an absentee ballot or a vote-by-mail ballot or whatever you want to call it to every registered voter. It's called the National Disaster and Emergency Ballot Act of 2020. Amy Klobuchar has signed on to it, too. And Michelle Obama, is, she's hosting a vote online voter registration couch party with DJ uh, D-Nice. They're also focused on educating eligible voters about voter registration and vote by mail. Michelle Obama launched the When We All Vote back in 2018 with Tom Hanks, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Janelle Monet, Chris Paul, Faith Hill, and Tim McGraw. And uh, so, you know, she's got a lot going on. But this is, this is important stuff. And Republicans know that vote by mail is a good thing. And the way that you know that they know this, Laura Clausen writing about this over at Daily Coast, <laughs> holy cow, is that Trump himself voted by mail, of course. But the Republican National Committee is now sending out mailers to Republicans This is not the federal government sending it to everybody. We can't have that. Trump is saying, no, no way. But the RNC is sending out a flyer to Republicans. The first one went out to Republicans in Pennsylvania that says, and I quote, voting by mail is an easy, convenient, and secure way to cast your ballot. And it has a form for you to mail into your state, Secretary of State, to get on the vote by mail list in Pennsylvania. Now, when the Democrats in the House of Representatives tried to put this into their bill, into the $2 trillion stimulus bill, vote by mail, the Republicans in the Senate said, you put that in there, we're going to shoot the whole thing down. And so the Democrats backed off. Trump, in fact, came out when Democrats were talking about this. Trump came out and said, they had levels of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. How about that? This is mind-boggling. Meanwhile, in Georgia, this is from Laura Clausen's piece. Meanwhile, in Georgia, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger worked with Trump's reelection committee. Now, wait a minute. A Secretary of State who's supposed to be overseeing elections worked with Trump's reelection committee on a plan for mail voting, deciding to send absentee ballot applications to active voters, excluding registered voters who haven't voted in recent years. That's a group that is disproportionately young and people of color. It's amazing. They're trying to scam the election. They're just trying to run, you know, another scam. Another smile for you from Phil Proctor's Planet Proctor newsletter, Phil Proctor, the Firesign Theater. We went from Standard Time to Daylight Savings Time just like about a month ago. We were all complaining about it. It was a major topic on this show. So Phil Proctor says, I don't think anyone expected that when we changed the clocks, we'd go from standard time to the twilight zone. And then he goes on to say, this morning I saw a neighbor talking to her cat, whom she obviously thought understood her. I came into my house and told my dog. He laughed till he peed. And then he goes on to say, my body has absorbed so much soap and disinfectant lately that when I pee, it cleans the toilet. Saw a classified ad today. Single man with toilet paper seeks woman with hand sanitizer for good, clean fun. Ba-dum, boom. Okay. Right-wing billionaires. I am trying to wrap my head around what's in it for these guys. You've got a bunch of right-wing billionaires. You know, your normal familiar faces. You've got a bunch of right-wing billionaires who have been not just tossed in with Trump, but, I mean, they're actually helping to organize and fund these so-called protests you know, the reopen protests. These are the same guys who helped fund and, and promote the Tea Party a decade ago. And that gave us no public option in Obamacare, right? And now they're working hard to demand that governors stop essentially protecting their citizens from the coronavirus. And these 
Billionaire-funded groups are on the same page as billionaire-owned Fox News. But why? I mean, if governors rip off the bandage, the phrase that they like using over at Fox News, apparently, uh, it'll cause hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of deaths in the United States, although those deaths will be most heavily concentrated among communities of color, poor whites, Hispanic, poor Hispanics, and elderly people. Now, it just turns out that poor whites, poor blacks, poor Hispanics, and elderly people are the most expensive people in our society from the point of view of these billionaires. They're the folks who are more likely to be on Medicare, on Medicaid, on Social Security, you know, the older folks, disability. I mean, you could argue from this insanely cynical point of view that billionaires who hate paying taxes, in particular hate paying taxes that are going to these so-called moochers, the so-called takers, right? They, to, to use Ayn Rand libertarian language. And so maybe they think if, if they can kill off enough seniors, then they won't have to worry about Social Security taxes ever going up or any other tax to, to bail out Social Security. If they can kill off enough seniors, they don't have to worry about Medicare expenses any longer. In other words, you know, if they can kill off poor people of all races, but it's a twofer if you get people of color from their point of view. I mean, these are all white billionaires. <laughs> Let's just lay it out. And then they get to say, okay, you know, don't raise my taxes to pay for food stamps or, you know, Section 8 housing or whatever it may be because you don't need it anymore. Those people are dead. Is that what's going on? That don't raise my taxes? Is it that simple? Well, on the other hand, these billionaires are also people who, by and large, now probably about half of the billionaire class inherited most of their money, or at least inherited their start, you know, like the Koch brothers. Daddy started this big oil company with Joe Stalin, and, you know, by the time they came along, it was a multi-million dollar enterprise. But nonetheless, they make their money, and they get additional money, and these guys are always interested in additional money through economic activity. So when economic activity freezes up, their revenue stream stops. And I mean, you know, the Koch brothers are heavy in the oil business and, well, they have Koch brother now, they're heavy in the oil business and that's in trouble. I mean, yesterday, oil producers had to pay oil consumers rather than selling oil to them, they're paying them to take it. The price of oil went negative yesterday. So if they're experiencing a drop in economic activity, they, you know, they're experiencing a drop in their own revenues. So maybe it's just, you know, hey, we want to make money again. And we don't care if people die. So could that be it? And, you know, I mean, that seems like a heads they win, tails you lose. By the way, this whole rant is available over at buzzflash.com. Judd Legum's uh, newsletter this morning, popular.info. He's talking about, this is a uh, summary from the Washington Post about who's behind this thing, these so-called reopen programs. The outside effort, this is the Washington Post, the outside effort from conservative groups is expected to be led by Stephen Moore. Remember Stephen Moore? He used to come on this program and talk about how capitalism was more important than democracy. Jenny Beth Martin, co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots. Adam Brandon, president of FreedomWorks. And Lisa Nelson, chief executive of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. And they say part of the impetus for the conservative group is political. In other words, they think that doing this is going to help get Trump reelected. Judd Legum writes, Recently, Moore, Stephen Moore, has been lionizing the anti-quarantine protesters, comparing them to civil rights icon Rosa Parks. I call these people the modern-day Rosa Parks. They are protesting against injustice and laws to liberties, Moore says. But one of the things that Judd points out is that 81% of Americans overall think that we should shelter in place as long as there's a dangerous disease floating around out there. That includes 68% of Republicans who support a national stay-at-home effort order, which we don't have, by the way. So Judd is positing that the purpose of these protests is not just a protest, but to actually change public opinion. And they're, they're also trying to turn that into a referendum on Trump. Basically, if you support the stay-at-home, you're opposed to Trump. If you support opening the economy, you're in favor of Trump. You're a Trump guy. 
And then they talk about how Fox has just been plugging this like crazy. Tucker Carlson and, and uh, Sean Hannity and all these guys. Fox News uh, host Pete Hegseth said that governors are being quite flippant about our founding documents. Freedom of assembly is in the Bill of Rights. Neil Cavuto uh, over on Fox Business uh, had one of the protesters on. He says, good luck. Tucker Carlson had one on. He says, thank you for exercising your constitutionally protected rights as an American. Bless you. And Fox News has done dozens and dozens of stories on this. Meanwhile, it looks like there's just a, a relatively small group of people behind registering dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds of domains that have the word reopen in them. Reopen MN, reopen Minnesota, reopen PA, Pennsylvania, reopen VA, Virginia. And they're tied to these gun rights groups and to some grifters. I mean, it's, it's really an amazing story. I'll tell you about that after the break. But, you know, what, in your opinion, what is it, who's, who's you know, winning as a result of this? What is the goal? What is the end point? What are they trying to do here? This is the Tom Hartman Program. I mean, it seems, you know, fairly clear to me that what they're trying to do is very straightforward, get Donald Trump reelected, some more tax breaks. We have a special video up over at TomHartman.com, and it's about how a letter that the IRS sent out to 3.9 million Americans saved 700 lives. And you're like, wait a minute, the IRS saved 700 lives? How did that happen? Well, it has to do with Obamacare, and it's a fascinating story. And it turns out that this analysis of this IRS mailing was actually the first time that the federal government has done a study that actually proved that people having access to health care produces fewer deaths. For every 1,648 people who got the letter, there was one fewer premature death. I'll explain the whole thing in the video. As I said, it's available over at TomHartman.com, and it is really worth checking out for a national health care system. So it looks like there's a whole bunch of these websites, apparently well over 100 of them, that have the word reopen in them. Reopen Minnesota, reopen Pennsylvania, only they use the two-letter codes for the states. Reopen in church, reopen American business.com. They looked at about 150 domains. Uh, there's one for each one of the 50 states. Some refer to large cities and even counties. This is over at Krebs on Security, K-R-E-B-S on Security.com. And they did a search on new registrations of websites. And while many of them are obscured, I'm, I'm, this is reading from their newsletter, many of the records are obscured behind privacy protection services, but other details suggest a majority of them are tied to various gun rights groups, state Republican Party organizations, conservative think tanks, religious and advocacy groups. Reopen Minnesota, reopenmn.com, forwards to the minnesotagunrights.org website. And this is registered by a guy living in Florida. Reopen PA is tied to a Facebook page called Pennsylvanians Against Excessive Quarantine with 68,000 members. ReopenTexasNow.com, ReopenWI.com, ReopenIowa.com. All of these sites, or many of these sites, have a particular Google Analytics tracker, which is a little invisible thing that you put on your website that allows Google to tell you how many people visited your website, what website they came to you from, how long they sat on your website, how, what pages they looked at, all this kind of stuff. That's what the Google trackers are. And it turns out that that same tracker, UA-60996284, that same tracker also appears on a whole bunch of other websites around the country, particularly some that are run by three relatively notorious brothers across more than a dozen states. Cleveland.com, the newspaper in Cleveland, Ohio, again quoting from this article on KrebsOnSecurity.com, quotes several Second Amendment advocates saying the brothers simply seek to, quote, stir the pot and make as much animosity as they can and then raise money off that animosity. End quote. And in fact, over at ReopenNC.com, North Carolina, they're selling T-shirts and decals and yard signs and all kinds of stuff like this. ReopenOurEconomy.com, ReopenSociety.com, these track back to FreedomWorks, the group that put together the Tea Party and was funded by the Kochs. 
Reopen OC goes to the Facebook page for Orange County Republicans. Reopen SC goes to Horry County, South Carolina Conservative Republicans. Reopen Mississippi is owned by a group called In Pursuit of LLC. A 2016 story from USA Today says that In Pursuit of LLC is a for-profit communications agency launched by billionaire industrialist Charles Koch. So it looks like the entire thing is being orchestrated, you know, top down, bottom up, whatever you want to call it, by wealthy billionaires and uh, so-called gun rights groups, gun manufacturers and gun sellers, and Republican parties at the state level and at the county level. I mean, we're seeing this all over again, right? Most recently, we saw these people as Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer. Before that, they were the Three Percenters and the Oath Keepers. Before that, they were the Tea Partiers. Before that, they were the John Birch Society. This is like Donald Trump's shock troops. And frankly, you know, keep in mind, you know, Hitler's brown shirts, Mussolini's black shirts started out as volunteer groups who would go around and beat up protesters. That's how they started out. Are we moving in that direction? I mean, here you've got uh, state representative, this was in uh, Washington state, state representative Robert Sutherland of Granite Falls said, quote, we're starting a rebellion in Washington. We're not listening to this governor. We're taking our state back. He had a pistol tucked in his uh, belt. He says, when we go fishing, they're going to send their guys with guns and they're going to write us tickets. Governor, you send men with guns after us when we go fishing. We'll see what a revolution looks like. There were anti-lockdown protests in uh, Nashville, Austin, Texas, Phoenix, Arizona, Annapolis, Maryland, Raleigh, North Carolina, Sacramento, Boise, Salem, Oregon, Denver, Colorado, Salt Lake City, Oklahoma City, Albany, Trenton, Richmond, Tallahassee, St. Paul, uh, Minnesota, Concord, New Hampshire, and Lexington, Kentucky. This thing is growing just like the Tea Party did because it's got the same kind of billionaires and the same kind of big money behind it. Meanwhile, John McDaniel, a name you may not be familiar with, he, he was the guy who, he's, he's an Ohio resident, or was, he's the guy who started a Facebook page trashing Mike DeWine, the Republican governor of Ohio, for locking down the state. He said on his Facebook page, if what I'm hearing is true, that DeWine has ordered all the bars and restaurants to be closed, I say BS, only spells out the whole word. He doesn't have that authority. If you're paranoid about getting sick, just don't go out. It shouldn't keep the rest of us from living our lives. This madness has to stop. Well, he died recently in the hospital from coronavirus. Rest in peace, John McDaniel. Meanwhile, in Southern California, a fellow actually kidnapped a TV reporter who was reporting on one of these reopen rallies and uh, took the took the reporter at knife point back to the truck and said, I want you to delete any footage that has my face in it. The local TV station for whom that reporter worked could not even report on the protest that night because all of their video was now part of the police evidence in this kidnapping conspiracy. Meanwhile, over at Unicorn Riot in Minnesota, they were interviewing protesters in the Liberate Minnesota movement. And one of these people said, other people are dying, but God is going to take care of us. Right. In Utah, a 58-year-old man was arrested last week after he called the office of Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendelhall and said he would work to, quote, forcibly remove her from office unless she eliminated the lockdown. He says, a civil war is coming and the police can't stop me. So what's the deal here? Who's feeding this and why? Jack in Cortez, Colorado, you are on the air. Jack, what's your rant today? There are a couple quotes from George Orwell that just seem to apply right now. The people will believe what the media tells them they believe. And the other one is, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Thank you so much. Those are great, Jack. Thank you for the call. Sheila in Talent, Oregon. Hey, Sheila, what's on your mind today? I had a little pop-up news thing about nurses stand up to protesters in Colorado. So I opened it mm-hmm. up, and I saw what looked to be one single nurse standing in a crosswalk, arms crossed, almost military style, facing down the protesters, a whole line of them in cars and trucks, quite expensive trucks, I might add, waving their flags and screaming obscenities and racial slurs to an Asian-American nurse who's putting his or her life on the line. turned out there were many nurses, 
and they held the line. They held that traffic back. Eventually, they were forced to get out of their vehicles. They should have all been ticketed and um, walked around and made their threats in person to the nurses. And I am a retired critical care nurse. I retired two years ago to take care of my very sick brother who passed. And I would still be nursing right now. I would still be in the profession, and I would be with my sisters and brothers in the workplace. And I'm kind of suffering a survivor guilt right now because I'm not out there. And uh, so at any rate, I would like from these people who I want them to put these protesters, their health and their lives where their big mouths are, and I would like them to sign DNR directives so that should they come in with COVID-19, they will not get intubated. It won't happen because I can tell you that if one of them collapsed out there, there would be three nurses to five nurses who would respond to give them care, something that they would never do in return for those nurses. At any rate, proud to be an RN. And I would like to see Fox News who think that this is a hoax and a Democrat ploy, I would like their DNRs for COVID-19. I would like to see Janine Perillo, who had a screaming rant the other day. She was foul-mouthed to me, even though there was no obscenity. Everything that came out of her was hideous. Carson, what's his name, Hannity, and Fox and Friends. They should all, if they truly believe this and they want to follow Trump, then follow him to the graveyard. Sign the DNRs. Prove to us that you really, really think that this is just not real while these people are dying. And I can tell you that if you want to know how bad it feels before you're intubated when you are going through this, because this sounds like many of them are turning into going down with the ARDS type of syndrome, just breathe normally for a while, then take short, incomplete breaths in and out. And most people will start to find out that they try to sit forward real quick, extend their neck, because they're starved. They're oxygen starved, and it's like suffocation. It's a hideous, horrible feeling and is traumatic for the staff when you are intubating under the conditions that they're having to and putting them on vents and figuring out how to make one vent work for two and three people. This is my rant. I'm just so angry. I could, I could almost be physically violent towards these people. And yet I know that if they collapsed in front of me, I would risk my safety and help them, even though they freaking don't deserve it. Sheila, isn't it ironic that these are the same people who are storing up, you know, a year's worth of food and a thousand bullets and a dozen guns waiting for the Holocaust. And suddenly they can't last two weeks without a haircut or a massage. I know, I know. And the the great generation sacrificed so much so that they could have of the lifestyle they have now. The very people who are dying, the greatest generation. Sheila, thank you for the call. And thank you for being a nurse. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Michael in Bronx, New York. Hey, Michael, what's up? Hey, Tom. How are you doing? You asked a question earlier that how did all this protests and guns came about when um, people like, especially in Pennsylvania, were, you know, crowding in out, outdoors, no social distancing whatsoever. All this comes back to Trump's tweets last Friday. We say, liberate Michigan, liberate Wisconsin, liberate Virginia, and then adding the part of protect your Second Amendment that's under siege. Like, where in the world did that come from? That's the biggest lie whatsoever. But then what's even worse is that he's gone now from endangering people's lives to inciting riots and inciting violence. And then what's more, Tom, is that I know I've said before that these people don't know that they are being used by Trump. And if nobody doesn't believe that, then ask yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, how is it that you are out there in this COVID-19 virus and you are being steered by the puppet master, Trump, who is hiding indoors in the White House office? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Your point is well taken that these people are basically just suckers, you know, for a con man. This is like the music man, except Howard Hill and the music man actually had a heart and some small amount of conscience. Donald Trump does not. He's just a grifter. David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, what's up? Well, Tom, next week I'm going to call you and tell you what the astrologers have to say about Trump and where we are and where we're headed. But we actually had this conversation a few years ago when I was threatened by a conservative on Facebook who ended his rant with hashtag culling the herd dot com or Twitter or whatever. It's a definite meme. And their goal is to kill three to four billion people of color and poor people around the world to preserve the white male power and dominance. And their weapons are military and pandemics, the corona pandemic, the global warming pandemic, economic, political power and media pandemic. This was supposed to be the time when white male power ended because of the vast Asian and Latin populations, and they were supposed to take their ill-gotten gains and quietly go away, but they're not. They're going down fighting, and that's why they call this a war. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not quite ready to buy into the theory that this is genocide, essentially. But I think that there are a bunch of people on the right who are profiting from it and who are hoping to profit from it. And I think that it's entirely possible that the Stephen Miller faction in the White House is looking at this going, well, yeah, you know, get rid of the old people, get rid of people of color. That's a good thing for America, right? Uh, Less money, less tax, you know, less we can reduce the taxes on the billionaires now and they'll give us more money for our campaign. You know, not to mention the the whole white supremacist angle. Uh, Dave in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hello, Tom. Long-time listener. Love your show. Thank you. And I agree with you that to some extent, the reason why Trump would be withholding these benefits and making it hard to get any kind of benefits or any kind of a break, the same reason Rick Scott won't give out unemployment benefits, 
they want to drive everybody into debt. I think it's just that simple. I think at the top, there's a smiling Mnuchin going, hey, my portfolio is growing. And it, the longer they wait to, to dole out benefits that Congress has given, the more people go into debt. And this debt is going to be, in the long run, it's a house that I don't inherit and rather Mnuchin and his portfolio gets. It's called peonage, Dave, P-E-O-N-A-G-E, where you use debt to essentially enslave people. And it has been the business model of America since the 1980s when Reagan replaced, you know, union workers with essentially peons. Debt well said. Peons. Yeah, debt yeah, that's, I'll look it up. I'll look the word up. Thank you, Professor. Yeah, good Have talking good to you. I also Thank want you. to say, can I say this too yeah. about the post office situation? You've talked about it before, and I remind people all the time. It's forcing the post office and the withholding this money is forcing a, a pension funded 70 years out. It's just ridiculous. It's forcing the post office to sell off prime real estate in many big cities, worth a lot more to the billionaires than, you know. So that's part of this, too. All right. Yeah. Thanks again. And then the other... The other, yeah, good point, David. The other piece to add to that is that the single largest unionized workforce in the United States is the post office. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's a two for 42. Dave, thank you for the call. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Thanks for the call here. I'm having a concern that we and the left are kind of slowly making the same mistake that we did in 2016 for the upcoming 2020 election. And that is, it was sort of giving a small number of sort of angry, violent types way and horrible candidate types, which is Trump. We're giving them a little bit too much notice and too much airtime, and we're giving them the free media and the fear spreading amongst us. Just, just imagine if somehow we could just detune all of that, tune that out that Trump would be on TV as much as Obama, which is a rarity, okay, and that we didn't cover these stupid marches full of, not even full of, but containing small numbers of people. We could tune them out. Then the left could take their energies and focus and just take it to rebuilding democracy and doing the positive things that are in our heart. I just think we're falling into this same trick again that Trump is brilliant at, and Steve Bannon knew all about, which is kind of how he got elected. You think it would hurt your show not having the opposite on or whatever. I don't think it's going to help it. I think we have to focus on the positive, and that's going to take some discipline by the left. And as I've called before, where are the great-grandparents on the left? Where are the grandparents on the left? Where are the parents of 50 years old on the left? Where are they? Let's not go down to the bottom. I think we're here, Robin. But, you know, I get your point. Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Mike in Anderson Island, Washington. Hey, Mike. Hey, so I was on the Internet. I seldom get on the Internet. I do no social Facebook and all that stuff. But I was looking for something, you know, they, they comparing the flu and the COVID virus and so forth. And somebody mentioned, look up, if you don't believe me about this, look up Agenda 21. You know, right. So I looked up Agenda 21 because I was curious. I'd never heard of it before, you know. So I look it up. And it's Agenda 21 is on it by itself is a real thing that the UN, in some one of their world meetings back in the 90s, came up with. Well, but no, they it's, it's not something they came up it with, Mike. It's, it was called. There was a meeting down in South America. I think it was right. in Peru or Argentina. Right. And, no, I think it was Ar- and they had Argentina. breakout sessions. If you've ever been to a conference where they have a bunch of breakout sessions and you can go to room one and listen to somebody talk about the media and go to room two and hear somebody talk about the state of the economy, whatever. Well, those were called agendas and there were like 40 of them. And this was the 21st one. It was just a series of presentations in different breakout sessions. And some group was making a presentation about some idea that they had. It wasn't something that the U.N. was promoting, whatever that group. I forget what they were talking about now. It's been years since I dug into this conspiracy theory. But it's turned into a meme on the right. They're convinced that this is the one world dominance thing. 
Yeah, people took it to be some conspiracy that they're trying to get rid of 95% of the world's population, you know. I had never heard of it before, so I, you know, I poo-pooed it, but I said, I wonder if Tom heard of this, you know. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the next time you see a a Trumpelkin, Trumpelstilskin or whatever, Trumpkin, just say to them, you know, okay, Agenda 21 is coming and you're next, and just watch their eyes (laughs) bug out. You know, this idea of COVID to get rid of the old people, I'm 68 years old, and by using something like the COVID, that's pretty uh, a, a widespread way to get rid of people. You know, you can't. Yeah, it's pretty indiscriminate. Is is actually the problem? Although it does seem to be hitting old people the worst. Mike, thanks for the call. Fascinating stuff. I thought you were going to pitch it. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Please share with your friends how they can find good progressive media. We need to wake as many people up as possible, particularly in this very, these very, very dangerous and trying times. So tag, you're it. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be safe. Be good to people around you. Take good care of yourself, too. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.